Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and reporter at NBC in Atlanta. This podcast is all about developing your voice as a journalist and developing the skills to harness that voice. Guys, we are back. I took a few months off for a reason I will disclose soon, and I didn't want to wait any longer, so I'm recording this episode despite a couple of issues. One, if I sound like I'm talking a little soft, it's because I'm trying something I've never done before. I'm recording this podcast at night while my nearly two-year-old daughter is asleep upstairs. I'm nervous. If I break away for like 10 minutes and you hear me singing Michael Buble songs in the background, that that's what's going on. So that's one. Two, uh, you can probably tell I've got a little bit of a cold. I'm not at 100% tonight, but that is okay because I've got two guests to do the talking and I promise you will want to listen to a very powerful conversation. A few minutes before, or a few notes before we get started. First, please subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. It is the best podcast app I know. It keeps a playlist of your favorite shows and automatically updates with new episodes so you don't have to download them. Just download the Stitcher app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Second, rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you like what you're hearing and want others to hear it too, a kind rating on iTunes is the best way to boost us in the rankings and search, so I kindly encourage that. Finally, you can buy my book, The Solo Video Journalist, wherever fine books are sold. It is a how-to guide for the most in-demand job in local TV news, those who shoot and edit their own reports. It's getting picked up by college classes. It's being read around the world. Again, that's the solo video journalist on sale now. Around four to five months ago, the NVC affiliate in Seattle, King 5, released a nearly hour-long documentary to its YouTube page. It was called Bob's Choice. Bob is a 75-year-old man diagnosed with cancer who chose to end his life. He did so through a Washington state law called the Death with Dignity Act, he took an injection surrounded by family, friends, and the two men you're about to meet. These are two of the most gifted storytellers I know. One uses his words, the other his camera. Both bring a healthy supply of thoughtfulness and empathy, and they're here to talk about this documentary and everything that went into it. John Sharifi and Joseph Huerta, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Matt, how are you? Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you for having us. Absolutely. Pleasure to do. And guys, so much to ask you about. I do want to clarify before we begin that neither of you actually work at King 5 anymore. Joseph, you're a photojournalist at WFAA in Dallas. Uh, John, you run several cable TV stations in Seattle. We'll talk a little more about career paths later, but I wanted to speak with you both today about your approach to a project that was obviously so emotional and so massive and your approach to releasing it to the public. At last check, Bob's Choice has been viewed more than 90,000 times on YouTube alone. John, why don't we start here? Tell me how this project came to your attention and how it came to be. Yeah, it was about a year ago. Uh, Bob Fuller uh, reached out to me. I had known Bob. I interviewed him about 10 years before for a story of King 5, and we had been connected through social media and I heard from him and he basically laid it out to me and said that he was planning uh, to do this, to, to uh, exercise his right uh, to die with dignity as, as is his right in Washington state. And he wanted to know, 
you know, would I be interested in sharing his story? And uh, I was, uh, you know, taken aback uh, about his illness, um, very sad about that. Uh, but I told him that I, I would be honored to do so. Of course, uh, the next step was to to uh, figure out a way to do it and and to figure out, you know, in what form, because originally my idea was, was to do one story, maybe a five or six minute story. But that changed quickly once we started the, the shooting with him. Did Bob have any idea what he wanted you to do or did he just know that he wanted you to cover this obviously very important, very meaningful story in his life? You know, he... he he and I never really initially discussed the documentary. We discussed the story. He had, you know, followed my stories uh, throughout the years since, since I had met him uh, back in 2009. Um, so, in fact, I had heard later that with trepidation he, he approached me because I think, um, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to reach out to, to someone that he knew, a journalist uh, in the market, and have that person say, no, I'm not interested. But of course I was. And, and I think immediately I reached out to Joseph and said, I think, we're, we're, I think you know, this is an opportunity that, that is so rare for journalists because this man who I know um, is, is, is saying to us that, that he would like us to, to be part of his journey for the remainder of his life. Um, this was back in February, um, and he had already, interestingly enough, this is not often the case, he had already decided his death date. Uh, because what he had planned to do, and he told me on, on the phone that that day that we talked, was he was going to throw a party um, and bring all his the people that he loved and loved him together for a party, a celebration of his life. And then he would go upstairs uh, to, to his bedroom and then, and then die with dignity. Mm. Joseph, I guess if this was last February, we're talking almost exactly a year ago now, John Sharifi comes to you, explains to you this project, what was your first reaction, both logistically as a photojournalist and emotionally as a human being? Wow, yeah. Um, when John told me about Bob and his story, I immediately was like, um, yes, I would love to do this, but how are we going to do this? And are we even going to get approval to do this from our management? Just because it is such a controversial topic and... Um, uh, you know, like I'm always happy to just meet all kinds of people and but and being put in very uh, different situations. And this, that I mean, that whole thing was just something that I never would have imagined to be a part of. Joseph, I've known you for a little while now, and, and I know you as someone who really does just savor his role, not just being able to document people's stories, but to actually meet people and really get to know them over the course of storytelling. Did it take you a little while to kind of digest how this might be different? Um, not, not really, just because when we first met Bob, he was immediately welcoming. And over time, as we started following him, I kind of forgot that we were doing a story on him dying just because he made us so comfortable about like being around him. And, you know, there, there are, there were moments when I'm like, Oh wow, wait, what are we doing again? We're filming him to what? Cause you know, we just kind of became friends with him because you, the, the relationship we, we, um, we gained from knowing Bob, it was just this, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, um, 
but it, it definitely it was, it was definitely kind of a, an emotional roller coaster with this whole this whole thing. And you know, we knew we knew that you know we from the time we got the green light from the and and as soon as we got the green light. I was like Joseph. Okay, tomorrow, <laughs> let's start this. <laughs> um, and and one of the, one of the arguments, um, one of the sort of pitches I was making, um, as as you know, the the managers were were trying to decide should we or shouldn't we. Um, I mean, I did I did mention that you know uh, we need to you, we need to decide this soon because we're running out of time. Bob Fuller is running out of time. So once the green light happened. Um, I remember because it's in the documentary. Uh, March third was was the was the first day that we shot with him, and uh, then I took out my calendar and I and I counted the number of days till March till May tenth. We re- we realized that we were going to be spending the next sixty eight days with this man, and we were going to be you know in a, in, in a sense we were, you know, uh, this was an invitation to his death. Right. And his experience of death, uh, which is remarkable in and of itself, that we would have that kind of access. Um, And someone someone I interviewed uh, pointed out that it's it was also a reckoning with his life, you know, and allowing us to to journey that with him. Uh, And and for me um, and I think for Joseph as well, but I'll let him him talk about that. um, The whole experience was a beautiful experience. I want to get into what those shooting days were like. But before that, I, I am curious, you mentioned pitching this to your managers and, and pitching something that obviously is quite unorthodox. How did you go about convincing them to let you do this project, to let you invest as much time as you did, and to let you do a documentary, which, you know, in local news terms, typically is one of the uh, least efficient ways to spend your reporters and photojournalists' time? Yeah, I'm so grateful that that they gave us the resources and 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 the green light and the freedom, and and the number of days to do all that we 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 did. And as we were, you know, going along, um, you know, we kept them up to date as to to what we were we were getting. I mentioned Matt that, you know, originally, I thought this would be you know like a five or six seven minute story, um, and and. Joseph and I realized day one, this had to be a documentary. So, so we pitched it for, so the, the pitch and the acceptance of the, the story wasn't a full-blown documentary, but what happened was we had to repitch it and say, you know, we, this, this is, is extraordinary beyond any sort of words I can, I can come up with. I mean, here's a guy, first of all, I mean, you've seen it. Uh, a lot of people have, um, there is there is no way that in the first couple minutes you don't love this guy and it was the same yeah. experience for us you know we so 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 literally in the first interview that we did with him matt he he i would i would ask him questions and he would inevitably like third sentence in he would break into song he would break into a Broadway, a Broadway gym, and we're laughing. And you know, and it's so surreal because, you know, here we are talking. We know that we're we're doing a story about death ultimately, right? But also his life, and we knew going in that this would be a life-affirming story. But but I mean, this this guy. So so we realized like day one, um, music had to be a big part of this this documentary. So, so as we were going along, 
we were keeping our managers abreast of what what was what what we had, and um, and 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 they they put a lot of faith in us and trust in us um, to do this. Uh, but there were a lot of discussions, and we can talk about that as well. And Joseph may want to add some things. Yeah, I, I do want to give um, a big thanks to you know my managers, uh, you know Matt Marzinski, Russ Walker, and Mike Perry because they allowed me to. Uh, take time off to go shoot that documentary um, at the drop of a hat, which, as you guys know, that doesn't happen very often in news. Um, and to be able to do that, that is like just I'm just incredibly, incredibly grateful that they allowed um, me to do that. And were you doing this in addition to turning other stories or was this your only responsibility for half a year? Uh, a little bit of a mixture. So the way it would work is sometimes we had a shoot in the morning. I would show up, we would meet with Bob for maybe an hour, then I'd go turn a uh, daily story. Um, sometimes I would spend a whole day with Bob. It really all kind of de- like depended on kind of what our need was. That was for the shooting aspect. As far as the editing, um, they gave me as much time as I wanted to put that together because they knew that, you know, you can't just like slam somebody's life together, you know, in a story, especially something like this. Um, but they also, I also kind of took care of myself um, mentally by separating myself from the edit. Uh, I would actually go back in a GA for weeks at a time, just so that way I can clear my mind because it is a very heavy, heavy topic and story and, you know, reliving a lot of things was, was not the, easiest thing to do so i was keeping track of my uh, mental uh, mental health at that at that point i remember the the, the pitch that i made and I, I made a couple of email pitches that that uh, didn't get answered right away and i was you know i, I think anyone would be frustrated because you, you always want your pitches to 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 be received right away and 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 getting that green light right away but i totally understand it because of the topic right it's so the the death itself uh no one no one talks about and, and then death with dignity is very you know uh can can be and has been controversial it's been on the books in washington state for about 10 years but the, ultimately the the it was really interesting because i was telling you that it was back in february well it was right around the Oscar, uh, the Oscar. In fact, I think the pitch was made right around the time that the Oscars um, happened. And one of the short documentaries was about uh, death with dignity. And I remember in my pitch in the email, I, I mentioned that uh, th- there's there's a film that's been uh, nominated for for an Oscar about this topic. And then I think the New Yorker had a um, had a big cover story about death with dignity as well. So, so, so my whole thing was, um, you know, I think audiences are ready for it, and 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 the idea, if not now, when. In addition, here we have one hundred percent access with a man who basically has said, "Come along with me for the next, you know, two and a half, three months. Um, I will, uh, at the drop of a hat." I will answer all of your questions and you can be on that journey with us. And it is remarkable to watch as you watch this documentary because, as you said, you are counting down the days. Each shoot, you say how many days until his death date uh, that, that you are. And here he is just opening himself up, singing 
at the drop of a dime. Uh, <laughs> you're with him at the hospital. You're with him at home. You're with him with his partner. I mean, you're with him through every conceivable aspect of his life. It is a truly thorough character study, and that is before you get to the climactic moment, which you know we will discuss shortly about actually being there when he passes away. But before we get to that, I do want to dive into something that, Joseph, you briefly mentioned, just your mental health during this sort of thing. And, and I've had the privilege of working on many emotional stories. There's a really important balance that I try to walk. I try to stay composed when I'm there because I'm there to do a job. And the best thing I can do, I always feel, is do my job as well as possible, tell the story as meaningfully as possible. But I also try to step back. I try to reset, check in mentally, talk with my wife or my coworkers. Did you both feel, and Joseph, we can start with you, did you both feel that you also needed to find that balance as you were spending all this time on such a difficult subject? Absolutely. And before we got the green light or kind of around we got the time we got the green light, um, my uh, assistant news director pulled me aside and said, are you sure this is something you're comfortable doing? Are you mentally okay with handling a, a topic like this? Um, so I, I had a lot of um, cons uh, people concerned about my mental health just because it is a, such a you know controversial topic. But um, when it came down to the actual stepping away, I didn't really step away until after uh, May 10th, um, after Bob had passed, because uh, it didn't really sink into what was happening. Um, and because uh, as you see with Bob, you, you become so comfortable with him that you forget that, again, you forget that he's dying and you're capturing him dying in these moments so when it came to the edit process of on um may 10th when i had to edit that section i walked away uh, so many different times because i couldn't handle it emotionally i needed to walk away i actually remember one of my coworkers walking in as i was editing that piece uh and i was like tear um tears were coming down my face and um that was but by the time he walked in and saw that i was like you know what time for him to walk away because I am not in a good spot right now and I need to just kind of take care of myself. So that's kind of how mm -hmm. that took place. And John, I mean, Bob came to you. Yeah. He entrusted you with this story. I would imagine, and, and in turn you entrusted Joseph. I would imagine that that adds an even greater layer of responsibility, of emotion, of heaviness to everything. Did, did you struggle yeah. with just making sure you were checking in with yourself emotionally and mentally? Well, first of all, um, I, more than any story I've ever done, I just, I just wanted this to be just right. I wanted, I wanted this to be, you know, and, and he used the word perfect all the time. Bob did. Cause I'd ask him, you know, um, how are you doing? Are, 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 are you sure you want to, are, are, are you still good with this decision? Um, is, is, do you need, do you feel like you want more days? Because of course we were counting down to May 10th and he, he would say, no, this is perfect. And so, you know, so there was this added, I just wanted it because he, he entrusted us. I just wanted it to be, to honor him in a way that, that he would, he would have loved. Um, it was, you know, like Joseph, it, you know, I had the same experience. He made us so comfortable that 
he almost had this way of of with everyone that we we saw him with and we saw him with a lot of people we saw a lot of goodbyes and captured them right because in in those two months a lot of what we shot were the goodbyes those people who would not be there on may 10th so we were there with him and and he always made everyone feel so comfortable um about the decision he made um and 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 yet um that could never prepare us for that day right i mean i i was watch i was rewatching this because we, you know it's been some time since this aired almost 6 months 5 months and and i was watching some of it today and 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 i was in tears and it was just the it was just him singing you know because it brought back all those emotions of this man um, who we grew to love um, as we were doing this. So this was very personal um, to, to, to both of us. And, you know, uh, go, getting back to the discussion that we had with managers, one of the things that I wanted sort of to make clear in terms of my vision of this story is I, I said this needs to be a point of view piece. I mean, if you think that I'm pitching a story where we're going to have one side and then the other, and then we, you know, that is not how I'm envisioning this story. This story is, is just following this man on his journey. And then it, and then it came to me that the title had to be Bob's choice because it was his choice. And as Bob pointed out throughout, and as I truly believe, this is not a decision that everyone would make. And as Bob would say, it's not for everybody, but you know, like Joseph said, um, you know, it's it was in the editing of it. It was post May tenth for me that was even more emotional than when we were actually shooting it. And of course, if you want us to describe what May tenth, I know we're going to get to that, uh, what that last day was like. But but um, you know, um, yeah, I just feel so honored that he chose us, and he felt good about us uh, being on this uh, journey with him. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. My guests are reporter John Sharifi and photojournalist Joseph Huerta, the storytellers behind the documentary Bob's Choice. And I want to alert our listeners, obviously this has already been a heavy subject to discuss. It is about to get heavier. Uh, If you haven't seen the documentary, and it is available in full on YouTube, John and Joseph are in the room when Bob takes the injection and passes away on May 10th. And I wanted to talk about that uh, mainly, well, from an entire standpoint, but let's start with the preparation. I've interviewed people before about covering tragedy and trauma, even those who have covered executions. And even on that spectrum, this feels unique. So what were the discussions like between the two of you about that day, both in terms of preparing yourself emotionally and just logistically how you were going to make sure you shot this thing because obviously you were not going to be able to interfere. There were no you know, chances to do it again. And this is the moment that I'm sure you felt pressure, Joseph, especially being the one behind the camera, to make sure that you got it, as Bob would say, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, what's kind of funny about that is... Um, as people started to find out that I was doing this story, the question I got the most is, what are you going to do on May 10th? What do you, how are you going to cover the story? Are you going to be in the room? Are you going to, are you going to show him taking the injection? Are you going to show him dying? Like, just like, what are you going to do? And I really had no idea what to do. 
because um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I've never been in that situation. And uh, frankly, I was scared. So um, I remember, uh, uh, you know, I was I started to interview Bob by myself um, on sometime in April. And you just said, oh, screw it, Bob, what, what do you want me to do on the day you die? Do you, like, you know, and then he just answered perfectly, you know, like, I want you to be there the day, you know, the day, right when I'm taking the injection. And before I take it, I want you to go to the angels, you know, and then maybe out the window because nobody needs to see me die. And once he said that, I'm like, well, that's how I have to end it. Um, mm. Now I got to figure out how I'm going to pull that off, you know, because <laughs> that was... Right. You know, I wanted to um, fulfill his wishes, and there was a lot of pressure there that day. Um, well, to do if that. I can, first of all, if I can just back up a little bit, it was not an injection. We we keep oh, saying so, injection. Right. Well, so, I apologize. So yeah, no, no, that's okay. It was a feeding tube. He would have, um, you know, um, gulped the 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 cocktail of of medication, but because you know he had the tongue cancer, he couldn't swallow. So it was a feeding tube of of the. So, so I don't want people to to imagine that it was an injection. Um, So, um, yeah, this this was. I mean, yeah, it's it's the question of how are you are you going to shoot it? Are you actually going to shoot it at the at that time? Um, And and you know, often Joseph would go when I couldn't go, and then uh, I went a couple of times when Joseph couldn't go. The conversation that he had with his sister, I shot on my iPhone. Um, you know, so, so I thought, um, when, when, so I, you know, Joseph was just shooting, uh, with him on this particular day. I had no idea that he had gone ahead and asked him this question. So how would you like us to cover your death on May 10th was the question that Joseph asked, which I thought was, was brilliant on a couple of levels. And I'll tell you what was, what was even better, better than that was the follow-up question that Joseph asks when, when Bob finishes his statement. But the idea that, that we, you know, we're doing a documentary called Bob's Choice. And in a sense, by asking Bob, how would you like us to do this? You know, that's his choice too. Right. So he gets to decide that, too. And what he decided was simply that, number one, he wanted us to be there to filming it because that was important. Right. And um, and I think he said something like, you know, I you know, I want you to be there as I'm about to, to have my last supper. And then I'd like the camera to pan from me to the angels behind me. These are, these are pictures he had on his wall. And then he sort of hesitated, paused, and then looked to his right. And he said, and then maybe, you know, move the camera and go out the window because you know what he said, he said, nobody needs to see me, see me, see me die. needs to see, see me stop breathing. And then he paused. And now Joseph is, uh, not following those moves at all. It's a steady shot. You know, the frame has not budged. No zoom in, pan or anything. And then Bob says, pauses, and Joseph is quiet. And Bob says, how does that sound? And then this, this to me was was absolutely brilliant on Joseph's part. I don't think I I could I would have done it. I you know I I, I probably would have messed up that moment but this is the moment that joseph after hearing the words how does that sound just goes right back to him and says how does that sound to you 
And then mm. Bob's and then Bob says, sounds nice. Okay. So that was the moment. So then Joseph later that day sends me that clip and my mind is blown and it's, I'm, I'm in tears. Um, so now we know how we're going to sh- shoot on D- on, on May 10th because Bob decided how we're going to do it. Um, so it took the pressure off because it was clear in our minds that that's what we were going to do. Now I say the pressure off. Now, when you get to that day, uh, there is every bit of pressure, you know, to, to carry out his wishes, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, to make sure that we honor his request. Uh, and then once we do it that way, and we had two cameras there that day and Joseph could talk about that. Um, but then, you know, how do we edit it, you know, ultimately, uh, and then do we end the documentary that way, which is what we did. So there were, there was a second camera there. Yeah, there was, there was, um, our, uh, chief photojournalist, uh, Mike Perry was there, um, on the last day to help us shoot. And actually he was there the day before as well, just to mm-hmm. kind of meet Bob, um, to just, uh, just have a little meet and greet before, you know, May 10th. But the way it worked was, uh, Mike Perry would kind of go around with a smaller camera and just get, capture moments as I stuck with Bob the entire time. Um, just so that way I can be with him and gather mm-hmm. everything that we need with him. But, um, Mike Perry, you know, he, he was incredibly helpful that day and I, you know, I couldn't be uh, more grateful to have him alongside with me on that. Yeah. And he captured one of the, if not the, 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 the greatest <laughs> shot and moment in the, in the documentary, yeah. uh, certainly one of them. Uh, and that was the close up of Reese, um, uh, Bob's partner, um, um, who had to look away, you know, there's that moment that, um, you know, as it's happening, he just can't bear uh, looking, looking at what's happening. And he looks away and Mike, Mike had the, the camera on him and Joseph, who's by himself, uh, he would not have been able to do that. You know, if you watch the special and, and I vividly remember watching it, it was a Friday night and I think my wife had just gone down uh, stairs to you know, to do a, do some dishes or something like that. And I feel, well, I'll start watching this now and then maybe she can join. And, and within about 10 minutes, I realized, oh, there's no way that, uh, there's no way that I can finish this. Uh, uh, like there's no way I'm going to be able to explain what I'm watching 10 minutes later when she comes back up. So I waited and I watched it again the following night when I had more time and it was just so powerful. And as I was watching it, I, I was thinking, you know, your names John and Joseph keep getting mentioned in this special. Bob keeps mentioning your names. And you know, you you you're clearly even if he never mentioned your names, you're clearly part of this story now. You're part of the last few months of his life. He clearly had great affection for you and trust in you. I don't think it's a stretch to say that by the time May 10th comes around, you're not just there as journalists, you become friends with the man and friends in a very deep way that most of us, uh, the kind of friendship that I think uh, is so unique. And when you're there on that day, you're not just journalists doing your job, but you're watching a friend lose his life. What did that feel like? I think you described it perfectly. It, it, it was exactly that, Matt. 
It was exactly that. We were, I mean, I'm speaking for myself now, but, you know, I wasn't a journalist that, that day. I was a friend. I was a, I was a guy who loved this man and who got to know him deeply uh, for the last two and a half months. And, um, and, and Joseph, you know, got to ask him a question because he was really close, close to him, you know, um, before he took his last breaths. Um, but going back to, you know, what you were saying earlier about how, how he would, he would refer to us. He loved saying Joseph's name and he would always follow it up. I said, <laughs> yes. he would always say like, uh, he, like, I remember, like, I think day one, I said, Hey, you're looking great. He, and and he's going, yeah, I'm I'm very photogenic. I look because I look fantastic, right, Joseph, uh, the cameraman. <laughs> you know, cameraman Joseph. Uh. So so it was continuous, and he just loved saying uh, the name Joseph. <laughs> yeah, he, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh. It was just so much fun in that way, and we would just laugh. I mean, I you know, there's so many tears, you know, in this, but how. Joseph, how many times did we laugh throughout the, the, this experience? And it's weird to say this when you're talking about this story, but but he made us laugh. He laughed. He 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 was funny. He was loving. I mean, he he said to us at at, at the start. He says, "You just watch. Um, you you come come with me on this journey for the next two and a half months, and you will see that I am surrounded." by love. And, and, and it was true. We, we, we have proof of that every time we were with him. And we have proof of that on May 10th, when he was surrounded by love in that room. And, and, and Joseph and I, at one point uh, on that, um, I can't, I can't even get the words out, but um, I remember when uh, Joseph and I uh, came together <clears throat> And just, you know, put our arms around each other and realized, you know, just, you know, what was going on, what was happening in that experience that, that we were so privileged to have because of this man, you know? Yeah. Um, it didn't really hit me uh, until, I want to say, three days before his death on what we were really doing because he made us so comfortable and I asked him, um, why are you letting us do this? Why are you letting us follow you? And this, what he says is, made, is what made me realize what we are doing. And he says, you know, I couldn't be in Hawaii right now spending the last, my last three months on a beach, you know, enjoying the sun. Instead, I decided to spend it with you guys. And once he said that, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is real. This is, this is actually happening. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I would always forget why we're there, you know. Um, I was just so comfortable with him being, allowing us into his life that you just kind of forget why you're there. And um, the uh, the last day on May 10th, um, as he goes up into the room, puts on his pajamas for the very last time, um, John is in the room with him, miking him up, and I am outside with my headphones on and camera um, and listening to everything that's happening. And I just hear like tears from both John and Bob and I'm kind of going in on my head. What am I doing? What am I about to do? Like, am I really about to film a guy killing himself? Like just all these things started going on in my head. And then I just remembered that 
Bob wanted us to be there. Bob invited us into his life and Bob wanted us to share this moment with the world. And that gave me the strength to continue on. And um, as far as the question that uh, I asked, um, one of the very last things I asked him is um, something I asked him every single day uh, that I would see Bob. And it's, are you sure this is something you want to do? Because I felt as a journalist, that is one of the most important questions I need to ask on a story like this. And he would always say, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. And uh, I want to do this. And the very last day, you know, I'm crying in the room. And as I ask him, I can't even get the words out. And he just knows. And he answers it for me. He goes, it's, it's time to go. And that, that will always stick with me. I remember just, you know, I had to edit that moment um, on the timeline and every single time I just started to get teary eyed because hmm. that is, that might be, one of the most powerful things that has ever been said to me. And it's just, I can't even describe it. It was just, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate you both being so willing to talk about that. I know it's not easy. And I, you know, I, I think you kind of said it just now, Joseph, obviously none of this happens. None of these moments, none of the shoots, the documentary, none of it happens if Bob doesn't welcome you in and open himself up to both of you completely, what what do you think he wanted to get out of the documentary? Both the process of having it made with him there for it, so what do you think he got out of it while it was being shot, and what do you think he wanted it to mean? And the sharing of it, what do you think he wanted that to mean now that he's passed on? Joseph, you want to go? go uh, you go ahead. You go ahead first. <clears throat> well, he wanted he wanted viewers to see this. Uh, he he wanted he wanted people to know what that that the choice existed. That it wasn't necessarily for everyone, but that this was an option. Because I think there are a lot of people who don't don't know that that it even is. Um, so so there was there was that part of him, uh, that that part of it. Um, so one of the things I'll get back to answering that question in a sec. But what, but but this when you asked that question, it it made me think about this one part of the documentary where um, it struck both Joseph and me that you know, we're doing this piece about him. We're spending, going to spend 68 days with him of his life, of his last days. Um, and he doesn't, he won't be able to see what it is that he wants everyone to see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by definition, right? Um, because he won't be with us. And then it, it struck me that why, why not? Why can't he watch some of the documentary? So Joseph and I talked about this and the way we had constructed the documentary was that we sort of, in our own minds, sort of created them in chapters. There were 13 chapters. Chapter 13 was the last day. Chapter one was sort of the introduction. And we kind of put them, put, put little titles on each, each of them. The chapter two starts with the, the quote, I feel like Mozart sometimes, which is 
these are lines that he actually says. Uh, chapter three was was no regrets when he talks about um, um, the fact that that's how he lived his life, but he did have one mm-hmm. regret, you know. Um, but so there's one chapter you'll remember. It's called Two Thumbs Up. So in that chapter, we actually show him chapter one of the documentary. And it was on the Tuesday before the Friday of his death. I'm so we, glad you're bringing this up because this is one of my favorite parts of the, yeah. of the documentary. So it was the Tuesday before the Friday of his death that uh, Joseph finishes chapter one and we get to show him his story and his documentary. And you remember, you remember just just the, his face, his the reaction on his face, you know, holding so back, holding back tears, smiling, laughing. Um, because, because he gets to see it and he gets to, to feel the potential impact that this story will have after his death. So, so getting back to that question of what, what did he want? He wanted people to be moved by this story. I know he did. And he wanted people to feel it, feel what he was going through and to to get to to have people who might be in his situation feel like they're not alone and that they have options. So I think that's what he wanted. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it certainly has reached an audience both on TV and online. We mentioned at the top, I mean, this is more than 90,000 closing in on 100,000 views on YouTube after several months and obviously this is a subject that that is controversial and generates plenty of opinion, plenty of emotion. Once you had this final product, or at least something resembling a final product, how did you and your station managers discuss and decide to roll this out in a way that would be respectful, in a way that would maximize viewership and get the the audience and the eyeballs that you wanted, but also make sure that the, that the, fragility of the subject uh, was not lost, that the empathy was not lost in telling Bob's story? Well, it wasn't on TV. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know that because they're watching it online, as most people watch most most content online these I days. I didn't know that. Yeah. Not living in Seattle, I had no idea. Right. This, is, this right. is strictly digital. Yeah, it was strictly digital, which was an interesting, interesting decision choice. Um, um, and and um, it was on King 5's uh, YouTube channel. Um, and so we had on that night, uh, when it rolled out, we had someone from the nonprofit group, uh, end of life. And we had one of, uh, one of, uh, Bob's friends, fellow parishioners join us as well to answer any questions that, that, um, that came up on, on YouTube. Um, so we were, we were watching, um, as everyone else was watching, and then we, uh, and Joseph can talk about this too, but we were trying to get on different platforms like Reddit. Uh, we were, I mean, we, I, we, we talked about the issue on TV, on, on King 5 News. Uh, we had excerpts and, and Joseph and I put a, put a five-minute piece together as well to describe that, the journey that we had in a five-minute version and things like that. But, but the document, documentary itself uh, was only available uh, on, on YouTube. And I think, you know, it's interesting. I, I think I said this to you the other day, Matt, um, you know, uh, 
I, I sort of was removed from the documentary for a couple of months. In the last that I had seen, the number of people who had viewed it was in the high 20s, 20,000s. And then Joseph one day, you know, texts me and says, we, we got like 80,000 people who've seen this now. And now it's, I think, 96,000, 97,000. So, um, yeah, so it was an interesting decision. I, I think a good decision, ultimately. What, was there a discussion of, and, and obviously, once you get the green light, you know, and you know it's going to happen, then that is in itself a major success when you get to produce a documentary, especially at the caliber that, that this is. I'm curious if you had in your mind a definition of what success looked like in terms of exposure and in terms of its impact on the outside world. Uh, I'll chime in real quick mm-hmm. on this. Um, honestly, for me, um, I wanted to share Bob's story so people have an understanding about death with dignity, um, that this is an option. But the thing that was most important to me is hoping that I made Bob proud telling his story. That was my biggest thing. And um, that's the thing that I just wanted to try to gain the most. Um, that's I just wanted to make sure that I made Bob proud. Out of everything that's happened after this, I just hope that he is proud of what we put together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a, the, you know, I, it's interesting. I, I don't know. For some reason, I, I, I didn't. Yeah. I, 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 uh, it's a great question. You know, what, how did I, how do I define success in this, in this piece? I think in terms of the, the crafting and, and sort of the, the, the story that we crafted, I, uh, I'm very proud of how we cre- created it, Joseph and I, uh, this story and the story arc. Uh, so for me, I, uh, I sort of look art- more artistically um, as to whether this was successful or not. Um, you know, this is, you know, I'm very proud of, of this work artistically. And, and as you know, Matt, you know, I did something that, 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 you know, most, most reporters and I certainly haven't done, which is I had no voiceover, no narration. And that, that was a decision that we made, you know, early on. So it was uh, a little bit out of my comfort zone to do that. Um, I mean, you did hear me ask questions and I thought that that was very important for me to, to have my questions in, in it. But I think in terms of, you know, do I think that it succeeded? I think it did artistically, uh, and, you know, but, you know, when I look at 90,000 and you say, you know, a lot of people, you know, have seen it, like, like I want a million people to see it, you know, like to yeah. me, 90,000 yeah. isn't, isn't enough, you know? So, I mean, I have to be honest, you know, so, so like, I want everyone to see it. I want everyone to see it. I want, I want everyone to see it and then share it. And, and just, just because, because I think it's such an important, um, uh, meaningful story that that we all at one point or another um you know um need to discuss this 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 discussion about death and how we want to end our lives you know even if it's a discussion that we have and and my whole thing about journalism and telling stories is uh, at the end of the day I, I want my stories to you know if if my to me success is if you can shift perspective right so so if I could, if a piece that I'm working on with Joseph or 
you know, can do that, then, then to me, that's successful. So I don't look at the numbers. So if you ask me the 90,000, is that success? No, I, I want like, I want a million. Uh, but, but I want, I want people to be moved and I want the conversations to happen that didn't happen yesterday, you know? Yeah. I think it is such an interesting question. One that I often ask myself uh, as someone who does quite a bit of long form work and, you know, puts hours of time, uh, days, weeks into single stories and wonders. So what, you know, obviously I want it to be great artistically, mm-hmm. but you know, what, what, what do I want beyond that? And there's so many ways that we can measure success as journalists. And I don't know that there's a right answer, but I do know that I, I think there certainly has to be, as you said, Joseph, pride in, in, producing something that is worthy of its subject and is worthy of the person who uh, who brings you into that world. And, and I, one person's opinion, but I absolutely think uh, it was a success on that front. And I, I thank you both for pouring so much time and effort into it. Um, before we go, uh, this is the Telling the Story podcast, and again, my guests, John Sharifi and Joseph Huerta, we've been talking about Bob's Choice, but I always like to use this last section as an advice section for younger journalists. We'll keep it a little brief uh, for this one, because obviously we've been talking for a while, and, and the subject matter being what it is, but, you know, we haven't even gotten into the litany of awards that uh, that the two of you have won for work you've done and the reputations you have built Uh, and the very high esteem in which fellow storytellers hold both of you. So I did want to just use this last section uh, as we typically do on the podcast and and have each of you offer some advice for younger journalists. And Joseph, I'll start with you. You've really risen up the ranks. You've carved out a name for yourself. And the thing I've always noticed about you is just I feel like every time we talk or every time I watch a new story of yours, there's always a new a new tool in the bag, a new trick up your sleeve. I would assume that that is something that has been conscious from the beginning, but take me through the steps that you've taken to get where you are today. Uh, so I kind of, I would say I come from a non-traditional background, but I feel like that's kind of happens with a lot of journalists. Um, not to get too much into the weeds, but um, I never went to, college I actually kind of figured out journalism through skateboarding and um just kind of having that aspect in it like because I see the world as a skateboarder I see um like uh, the way the way I like to describe it is you know somebody may see just a, a park bench but I see 10 different ways to skate and so I think because I have that <laughs> background I tend to look at news stories that same way. It's like, okay, you know, somebody sees it this way. Here's how I see it, and here's how I'm going to tackle that. Um, and I think when you have something that you love, because first, uh, skateboarding is my first love. When you have something that you love, I think you can kind of figure out how to incorporate that into anything you do. And and I think that helps set you apart from others. And I'm also always just trying to push the norm. Um, by watching a lot of different content, you know, from YouTube, from listening to podcasts and movies, music videos, and just find inspiration there and just break the mold and get weird. Um, uh, and just, you know, like, don't be, don't be normal, just push everything. But I think the most important thing is always be human. 
no matter what. Always be human. Being human comes first than anything else. Hmm. You're at uh, WFAA now in Dallas. Talk about that decision. Obviously, you 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 built up a reputation in King Five, done some tremendous work. Talk about balancing work and life, and why you chose to make the move down south. Yeah, I uh, after being at King for four and a half years, uh, I felt like it was time for me to move on to kind of gain uh, back more of a personal life. Um, I was kind of a workaholic at King. And uh, I have a lot of friends and family in Dallas. And I felt like it was time for me to actually kind of have a life because um, I've been pretty much the most of the time at King, I was a workaholic and pushing myself. And now it's time for me to kind of relax for a little bit. Still work hard. Don't get, wrong, don't get me wrong, still work hard, but just kind of finally having that balance, which is something that is going to be new for me. John, we could talk for hours about your career path, and and I feel like uh, you know, I feel like I'm at a, a, a four star buffet at Las Vegas, and I can only pick one item to eat. But I, but in uh, oh, by the uh, way, the, the the other reason he left is he wanted to get, yes. get away from me, so he didn't mention that. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, I like that, that you're also just a uh, <laughs> an all you can eat buffet. It's more probably more more Reno than las vegas but that's fair that's fair um but it's funny because the thing i wanted to ask you about john is actually very similar to what joseph was just talking about and and how you you know because the two of you each of you in work that you've done together and separately pour your heart into your stories it's so obvious uh to anyone who watches them and you've had this career path where you were in news you left you came back strictly to work long form and you you've and, and now you're away from it again, at least full time. How have you balanced work and life and deciding what your priorities are as both a journalist and a human being? You know, the balance probably wasn't so good early in my career because um, just like Joseph, uh, I was a workaholic. Um, and and I think the balance came you know, with, with the epiphanies that we have in life. Right. Um, uh, and it was probably after I, you know, I had 18 great years with Como, you know, doing daily news and, and I decided to step away and then I was recruited to come back and do, um, uh, long form pieces, uh, for King five, which I did for about 10 years. Um, and that's when I started to get the balance where, where I got to pick and choose the projects, uh, that, that I, you know, um, was in love with and, and, uh, could put my heart and soul in, um, you know, I, I got to a point in my career, um, when I was doing daily journalism where, um, I was disappointed at the end of the day when in, in, I would kick myself at the end of the day when I, when I felt like my stories didn't measure up or that, that, um, they weren't, they weren't meaningful. Um, so, so, so then I decided, you know, I was sort of in the fork of the road, you know, which way do I go? And so I went a different way and then, and then great things, you know, opened up for me where I got to do, you know, what I always wanted to do where every single, um, you know, story that I enterprised, uh, at least to me was, was meaningful and life affirming and, and I got to do them. Um, and, and it culminated in, in this documentary, um, Bob's choice, but, you know, in terms of advice, um, you know, I, um, I was, I am still a student of, 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 of writing and journalism and storytelling. Um, uh, but, uh, 
I was so much so early on where I would find a couple of people that, that, that I looked up to, um, and I would pick their brain. In fact, I was lucky enough that they were in my newsroom at, at Como, the ABC affiliate in <laughs> Seattle. Uh, one was John Larson. Uh, the other was Bob Thronson, who I had the good fortune. He was my managing editor. How great is that? You look up to someone and he's, he's the guy who's looking over your scripts and going, you know, uh, you don't need this section, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah. so yeah. Um, the balance. The balance is so important because this is such a hard job uh, day in and day out. And there's so much burnout. I mean, I'm still doing it. I'm in my 60s. Um, but but I see, you know, I see so many people in the industry, you know, leaving it, um, you know, and they haven't, they're not even in their, in their 30s yet or 40s because it is such a hard job and it is Hard to, to have that balance, but it's it's also so important to 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 make it happen. And like Joseph has made it happen for himself, um, and I'm proud of him for doing that because because he has such a great sense of self and and what it what it means to be human, you know. So so yeah, I think that should always be considered balance of life. It's a great question. Yeah, I, think I do want to just it. add. Oh, go ahead, Joseph. Yep. Oh, I do just want to add that um, something that is also helpful is um, not being afraid to fail. Um, yes. Uh, as long as you're and as long as you're ethical with your stories, do whatever. I mean, seriously, like, and don't be afraid to fail because you know you can try it again at just some you know another point. Um, and because I've had that mentality ever since I started uh, back in two thousand seven eight maybe and um not being able to like fail it just like i I can't explain it like you just you just keep pushing yourself and you keep going i've been doing this since 2007 and i don't feel like i've ever worked a day in my life because of the mentality of like just trying and not being afraid to fail i love uh one thing that that I learned early on in my career that I always talk about, especially for reporters who are in the mix or photojournalists who are in the mix who are like, you know, I wish I could take chances, but I feel like I'm just slammed all the time. And I would always say, you know, you can always carve five minutes in your day to try something wacky or just something that, that you can see in your head, but maybe you can't describe or something that's unlike anything you've ever done. And if it doesn't work out, you don't have to use it. Mm-hmm. you can just go ahead and do what you normally would have done, but at least you've pushed yourself that little bit. And Absolutely. so often it ends up working out in your favor. And I think that's such good advice. And the other thing that, that I will say uh, about both of you that I think is great advice for anyone coming into the field is in all of my experiences with each of you, I have never... Uh, I've never seen a time where either of you has been unwilling to help someone or give your time or just do anything that you feel will help others succeed in this field. And I think that is a tremendous testament to how much you both value the work that we do and the field that we're in, but also just, uh, I, I think, a really great lesson to anybody who does experience the kind of success that you both have had to be sure to pass it on and to know that the rising tide lifts all boats in that case. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So 
as we wrap up here, that's all that I have, but uh, I always like to end with that famous reporter's question for each of you. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? John, we'll, uh, we'll start with you. Um, man, we've covered a lot, haven't we? But but oh, yeah. one of the things that I didn't really get to talk about too much that, that I just want to at least put on, on your podcast is just how much... I have loved, loved, loved working with Joseph Huerta. You know, he elevates my work, and, and that's 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 what you want to do. You want to find someone who, when you bring your stuff to the table, they make it better, and vice versa. And so I got to do that with Joseph for, what, four and a half years. And, you know, I know Joseph and I will continue to work together in some form or another, but uh, WFAA is, is super lucky to have him. And, and yeah, so that's, that's the thing that... Um, that I wanted to add. Yeah. Well said. And, and I can't end an interview with alongside with John Chiriku without making fun of that. He's twice my age. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. And I, I haven't told you that in a while, but I like to remind you that. I know. And now it's on Matt's uh, podcast. And uh, yes. this yeah, is how we're we can. It's how we're ending it. It's amazing. Hey, you know what? It was a heavy topic. Let's uh, end on a light note. I know. I'll tell you what. Let's let's end on this note too, and and, <laughs> and bring it back to both light and yet bringing it back to what we've been talking about all the time. The one one thing that I noticed watching the documentary, Bob had a great sense of humor. <laughs> what's yeah. the best? What's the funniest story? that either he told you guys or that you can recount from your two months with him. I already know it. And I think well, John will agree. I will agree. Go ahead. I think I, will. <laughs> I, think day, I know what you're going to say. Yep. Yeah, the day, uh, the, the day he announced his marriage, when we found that out, um, you know, the, he, he says it sound, but you know, what are you going to do? Um, I'm going to get married in the morning. I'm going to have a make one to go upstairs and kill myself. Uh, and then how was the honeymoon, Bob? It was a killer, killer, like just that, that. I remember John and I, we walked back to the car and we were crying, laughing for about 10 minutes yeah. because we also didn't know, like, what are we going to do with this? Like, but, yeah. I mean, he made, it his sense- he made it easy for us because he apologized and we kept all of that uh, in, in the documentary. Oh, I mean, wow. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that I just I, I remember getting video of our experience that day. Actually, I was recording us afterwards after um, us talking about that. We couldn't even explain what just happened because we were crying, laughing, because that was uh, the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard or yeah. like, in my life. Yeah. Well, and then I thought you were going to say something else, but you're right. That is that is the number one. But even till the end, when he delivers mm-hmm. the line where everyone is looking at him and he has closed his eyes um, and, and everyone thinks this is the moment, you know, that he has passed. And then he opens his eyes and he said, and he declares, I'm still here. You know, I mean, <laughs> come on. He, oh boy, that's, that's Man. Bob. You know, Bob being Bob is what I would always uh, refer to it as. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Guys, congratulations on the on the documentary. For those of you who are listening, I mean, it, it really is both, you know, I know this podcast is about, is very much instructional and aspirational for storytellers, and, and the documentary certainly fits that bill. So many lessons you can learn as storytellers, but beyond that, uh, it's just beautiful. Bob's story is beautiful. His choice is powerful. And uh, if you haven't seen it already, I would strongly encourage you to watch Bob Choice, Bob's Choice, again, available on YouTube now. 
Just search it into Google, Bob's Choice King 5. It'll be the first thing that pops up. John Sharifi, Joseph Huerta, thank you for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Matt. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe on Stitcher Smart Radio. And check out my book, The Solo Video Journalist. Thank you to Jazar for the theme music. Thank you to John and Joseph for joining me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.